Good evening and welcome to Blindspot. Tonight on the program, we are proud to present Twilight of the Idols, an experimental radio play featuring the talents of Anna Clark, Eric S. Humphrey, Peter Rosenblum, Philip Fonswack, and myself, I'm John Wenzel. Each week, Blindspot presents a unique live radio show that explores the possibilities of the medium. For more information about the program, please visit our website at stopgostop.com blindspot. There you, you will find pictures of MP3s, pictures and MP3s of past shows, as well as information about future shows. And now, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, WLUW 88.7 Chicago is proud to present Blindspot's presentation of Twilight of the Idols. For many centuries, people have been predicting the year, month, and sometimes the day when a violent and sudden end would terminate all life on Earth. Major, major social and political unheavals would occur around the world. The War of Armageddon would take place in the Middle East. God would pour horrendous wrath on most of humanity, and or Christ would return in the Second Coming. The prophecies have almost always predicted that these horrendous events would happen in their own immediate future. All of these predictions share one factor. None of them ever came true until now. The year 2000 came and passed, a year that some considered a very special year, simply because it contained three zeros. A lot of people predicted that major events of cosmic proportions would happen, but no massive events actually came to pass. There were the usual number of major earthquakes, civil dis disturbances, tornadoes, people of different religions trying to exterminate others, but nothing of cosmic or even worldwide nature happened. Or did it? Did the cosmic events happen in such a way that people did not notice? Could an earth-shaking event happen where no one noticed? Could the fabric of our humanity change without a press bulletin? In our future, still more end events are predicted for precise dates. Some people in North America, North America believe that at least some of these events will happen in their lifetime. Others expect that they will happen at some time in the coming days. However, these changes have not happened in the 19th or, or so centuries since the Bible was completed, and so don't expect them to happen in the 21st century. Many scholars, though, disagree with this point. Others do not expect any more than the usual complement of natural disasters in the future. We look tonight at a future and at a present, at what could be and what is. We look tonight at the re-evaluation of this world we call Earth as it is contained within two men's minds. They live very different lives, but both are trying to reclaim their grip on reality.
a re-evaluation of all values, the revoking at all that was seen as truth, the anticipation of the mighty truths of the past, the exit stage left, the relegating of the other into the place of the question mark, so black, so huge that it casts a shadow over the man who puts it down. Such a destiny of a task compels one to run into the sunlight at every opportunity, to shake off a heavy, all too heavy seriousness. Every means is proper to do this. Every case is a case of luck, especially war. Idleness is the beginning of all psychology. What? You've got to be kidding me. Vice is at the beginning of everything. Vice? Lust, sloth, alcohol, tobacco, gambling, aerospace, and defense. It, it has been my experience that people who have few vices have very few virtues. You must have a lot of virtues, then. Even the most courageous among us only rarely has the courage to face what he already knows. To live alone, one must be a beast or a god, says Aristotle. Leaving out the third case, one must be both, an alcoholic. That has to be a lie. You know better than I do that anything that sounds simple must be drowning. I'm not drowning. I don't even like water. You love him, don't you? Fighting in court scares me to death. I don't want my child surrounded by all of that. You are the poster child for self-loathing. You know that you have a choice in this matter. You need to stop judging everyone's life by your experience. You know there's another way. Is this the world that you want your kid to grow up in? Why don't you try and change things? All truth is simple. Is that not a double lie? I want, once and for all, not to know many things. Wisdom requires moderation and knowledge, as in other things. Wisdom requires an inquiry into the truth of the situation. Please, review the facts. You murdered a Coke dealer, Felix Castronova. This leads Tubbs and Lieutenant Rodriguez to a hit list with Crockett's name on it. Sonny is just making up with Caroline, and Rodriguez attempts... Rodriguez takes his family into protective custody. While Crockett is packing, there's an attempt on his life, but Rodriguez is hit. A drug dealer connected to you becomes a suspect, and when he's arrested, Crockett takes his family home. However, the Argentinian is waiting for you, and Sonny's quick thinking saves you, your wife and child. You are badly shaken, and tell Sonny that he hasn't changed and that your relationship is now really over. Then Crockett and Tubbs receive the bad news that Lieutenant Rodriguez is dead. You cry, not knowing why. That is only partially correct. Do you even remember how we got here? Do you know when, we will, when we'll be able to go outside again? Does that help you deal with the life you're choosing? The life you're forcing me to choose? No. It doesn't help that we're stuck in here. There's no exit from this place. We're stuck in our life of envy and love. You're being overly tragic again. You need to move to something more mundane, or you will not survive. I'm sorry, what? You have to do something more mundane. If not, this world is going to destroy you. You are not a sheep in wolf's clothing. You are a ballerina dressed up like a corporate lawyer. What? You know that man's merely a mistake of God's, or God's merely a mistake of man's. With that being true... It doesn't matter how I dress, because either way, I'm God's fashion victim. I know how desperate you are for attention, but you've gone too far this time. If I had feelings, you would have just hurt them. 
Chip Larson's breathing became heavy and painful as he ascended the final stairs of the Century Tower. His CIA informer had told him the time and place of the attack, but not the how. But now that he was up here, he found he really didn't care about terrorism or espionage or loyalty, patriotism or any of those other things they talk about and tell you at school and the evening news. He thought of a movie he'd seen once, The Ninth Commitment, not quite sure, but he did remember the part about an astronaut that had been put in the nuthouse because as he awaited the final countdown in the nose cone of his moon-bound rocket, he simply said, I don't want to do this. When Mission Control asked him if he was afraid, he said, no, I simply do not want to go to the moon. Soaking with sweat in his $100 suit, he had forgotten whose side he was on. He had remembered the mission briefing, an attack on Century Tower in downtown Rockford. But his mind had simply frozen after that. He could not remember if he was to aid the attack or kill the terrorists. Nor could he remember if he had ever been a terrorist. He did recall killing people, planting bombs in busy intersections, torturing prisoners. So he might be a bad man, he thought. Chip, he did know his name at least, sat down on an empty bench in the observation lounge and decided to rethink his situation. He searched his pockets for a card case, his fingers closed on a smooth stainless steel slim holder with his, he presumed, initials C.L. Looking inside, he found a card that identified him as a CIA field agent. Another card read, Farid Hussein, Al Jazeera editor. Another, Yasif Fakar, Libyan Interpol. And on it went. Not much help here, he reasoned. He thought it very strange that he could remember so many facts of his life, but not the meaning as if all his purpose had been erased, like a husband who remembers his wife's name and occupation, but couldn't imagine why he had ever married her, nor could he remember ever being happy with her. He decided it would be best to go backwards mentally from the present moment. He knew he was a covert operative of some government or organization. He was wearing cheap clothes that fitted him badly. He was a dark, olive-skinned male, about 50 years old, 40 pounds overweight, clean-shaven, crew-cut. These all pointed to Western government. But his fairly dark skin and thick black eyebrows and mustache left him still doubtful. Chip looked around the still fairly vacant observation lounge and noticed a few more men had arrived. Several pasty-faced, worn-out businessmen, cheap-stained ties, off-the-rack discount suits, pay-less plastic wingtip shoes, some clean-shaven, others with five o'clock shadows, battered briefcases with repaired and reinforced locks, the trademark of the internationally traveled intelligence washout. Perhaps once on their way up, 21 years old, fresh out of spy school, D.C., London, Budapest, Hong Kong, now little more than failed traveling salesmen. 
peddling rumors, old intel, bad intel, or pure fabrications to a paranoid world community, jumping on the most questionable terrorist-related info in a desperate and mostly unsuccessful campaign against a third world meltdown, finally erupting after 500 years of American-European slavery, rape, and oppression. In these post-9-11 very dark times, many found it safer choice to be a pet rather than cattle, ready to be slaughtered or sent to Guantanamo or some other gulag of lawless states, clinging to their once proud identities. Now nothing more than just another military state invoking nationalist rhetoric while selling out their citizens' futures to international corporate plantation owners the ultimate aim of global capitalism to create create two world classes, slave owners and slaves. In a 21st century worldwide plantation. something we all have to deal with. Do you know anything about it? Maybe he's trying to take advantage of you. Maybe you're trying to take advantage of me. You know there is nothing left. It's just like when Crockett and Tubbs were after Tony Amato, an international arms merchant and sometimes smuggler. They soon found that Amato mistreats his wife, a timid woman who has tried to leave him several times. Through Taft's, they learn that Amato is sending his bodyguard to meet a man about an arms deal. Tubbs substitutes for the man and sets up a deal. Meanwhile, Rita has arranged for her husband to be killed, but Crockett steps in and convinces her to work with them. Everything goes well until the last moment when Rita takes takes matters into her own hands. It's just like that, stuck in a life of envy, love, and international drug running. Help yourself then everyone will help you. A principle of brotherly love that I used to worry about. When when will we, we be able to leave this horrible place? Can an ass be tragic? Because if it's true, then you have to be one. What are you searching for now? Anything? Have you given up the chance to live again? That's the kind of artist I love. Modest in his needs, he really wants only two things. His bread and his art as well as his drugs and dealings with the Argentinians. I really think we're both going crazy. When was the last time we saw the sun? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's been four months, maybe five. When is the last time we have indulged in the advantages of small sins? I'm not sure. I think it's been four months, maybe five. When was the last time you believed in anything? Believed in anything that you would call faith, or at least something that had pure intentions. 
Albert Lombard is aboard his yacht, having a conversation with his son, Saul. It's obvious the two don't get along. Miami Vice cops sneak aboard the yacht, neutralize Lombard's henchmen, and make their way on deck, where they serve Lombard with a subpoena to testify in court against a criminal named Labrizi. After the cops leave, Lombard talks with his friend Charlie and tells him he has no intention of ratting out Labrizi. At the OCB, Castillo recognizes that Al Lombard is between a rock and a hard place because of his immunity agreement. If he testifies, he's dead. If he doesn't, he'll go to jail on contempt of court charges. Castillo orders the vice squad to keep Lombard alive. Charlie goes to meet Labrizi in a soda shop. Labrizi feels certain Al will will testify and asks Charlie if he's ready to take over Lombard's action. Charlie nods in agreement. Later, Lombard has lunch with friends. As he's leaving the restaurant, two hired guns attempt to assassinate him. Lombard is shot, but was wearing a vest, and escapes relatively unharmed. A warehouse owned by Labrizi is torched, presumably by Lombard's people. Crockett and Tubbs go to visit one of their snitches, Augie, at the dog track, try to find out what's going on. Augie doesn't know much, but promises to sniff around. Sonny and Rico then pay Lombard a visit, offering to put him under protective custody. Al declines. Lombard's men catch one of Labrizi's thugs, and Lombard tries to get him to cough up the name of the person who sets him up. The man points at Charlie. Even though the man has complied, Lombard concludes the meeting by having him shot. He has other things in mind for Charlie. He orders him to set up Labrizi. That evening, Lombard receives a call from Charlie. He did set up Labrizi, but things didn't work out exactly as planned, so Al needs to get out of town for a while. This is an example of survival of the fittest. Charlie says he's prepared all the necessary papers for Al, and that the two need to meet. Al leaves his yacht to rendezvous with Charlie, with Crockett and Tubbs tailing him. It quickly becomes clear, as Al and Charlie face each other, that Charlie intends to kill Al. The two vice cops prevent this from happening by shooting Charlie before he has a chance to shoot Lombard. Now, Lombard is taken into protective custody and transported to an old apartment complex comprised of small, single-residence buildings. Lombard tells Tubbs to get the fixing for a vermicelli dinner, and, over the meal, Lombard tells the story of how he got into the criminal life and became estranged from his son. It's very sad. There's an undercurrent throughout this episode. It's strange appreciation, even admiration, which Sonny Crockett develops for Al Lombard. He's a hard guy not to, not to like. There's something about Lombard with which Sonny identifies. It's perhaps his loyalty or the honor code of sorts that Lombard lives by. It's never completely clear. The next morning, Lombard has to go for a walk. Crockett and Tubbs escort him to the courtyard as Lombard is doing a little stretching. A truck pulls up and the shooting erupts. As the vice cops are busy trying to stop the truck and the people in it, Lombard slips away. Al goes to visit Sal, berates him for never having been there for him when he was a kid. Lombard clearly wants to make a, wants to make amends. Sal insists that the only way that that can happen is for Lombard to testify. He also wants his dad to stick around and tells Al that he loves him. Lombard agrees to testify and to go into the witness protection program. 
He spends his last evening before the court appearance on Crockett's boat. He has a talk with Sonny, telling him that he and Crockett are a lot alike. Crockett disagrees because, he says, he's never murdered anyone. Crockett then accuses Al of the murder of a woman named Barbara Carroll, but Lombard claims he wasn't the one responsible for his death. Al Lombard does appear in court the next day, with his son waiting proudly to hear his father testify. When the moment comes, Lombard takes the fifth and refuses. His son angrily leaves the courtroom. Al tells Sonny that he will never rat out his friends. It's clear that Sonny respects that, that stance. In the final scene, Lombard leaves the, court, the courthouse in his car. Two men in another car immediately begin to follow him. They are carrying some big guns. To venture into many situations where one cannot get by with sham virtues, but where, like the tightrope walker walking on his rope, one either stands or falls, or gets away. This is not how I remember the world as it was. I remember it as much as I remember the thrills of drinking on the job. It was a backwards time. Will you sing a song with me? Which song will we sing? You know, the song that proves that evil men do have songs. I don't believe In the smile that you leave When you walk away And say goodbye Well, I don't expect The world to move underneath me But for God's sake Could you try I know that you're true to me You're always there You say you care I know that you want to be mine. Where is your heart? Because I don't really feel you. Where is your heart? What I want is to believe you. Is it so hard? To give me what I need. I want your heart to bleed. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, where is your heart? I don't understand. Your love is so cold. It's always me that's reaching out. For your hand. And I've always dreamed. That love would be effortless. Like a puddle fallen to the ground. A dreamer following his dream. Where is your heart? Because I don't really feel you. Where is your heart? Because I really want to believe you. Is it so hard? To give me what I need. I want your heart to bleed. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, where is your heart? It seems so much is left unsaid. So much is left unsaid. But you can't say anything. Anytime you need Baby, it's just you and me Oh, yeah I know that you're true to me You're always there You say you care I know you want to be mine Where's your heart? Because I don't really feel you Where's your heart? What I really want is to believe you Is it so hard? To give me what I need I want your heart to bleed That's all I'm asking for Oh, yeah Where is your heart? Because I don't really feel you Where is your heart? I really want to believe you. Is it so hard? To give me what I need. I want your heart to bleed. That's all I'm asking for. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? About the, en- about the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. Chip reflected bitterly that being a lifelong member of the intelligence community makes you feel a bit like those people in the Matrix movie 
once pulled out of the illusion of law and order, good and bad, democracy and patriotism, it is impossible to enjoy the day-to-day -day illusion. The third world had finally woken up to the truth. Only bloody revolution would save them from being just another impoverished colony, pretending independence but always at the boot heels of the West. Men and women of peace had arisen from time to time, but not too long before seismic political forces buried them. It seemed he did remember something about good and bad, but along his long, blurry professional past, he had done so many bad things for supposedly good causes that all meaning had been lost. If you ever had the temerity to question methods, you were either laughed at for being naive, accused of disloyalty, or told that your job was to follow orders, not to think. But if no one played by the rules, what was the purpose of the game? The answer was simple, to win, to crush the will of your enemies. Good and evil were concepts for philosophers, students, the rich. In today's world, corporate greed, media fluff, infotainment, and political sharks ran the show, and they had only one morality, to win, no matter what the cost. But Chip had never recalled having thought this way before. Until this day, he had only focused on his job, the simple day-to-day -day calculations of expense reports, plane reservations, interrogations, torture, dental checkups, buying new shoes, murder, hitting on cocktail waitresses, buying cigarettes. What could explain this fundamental shift in thought pattern? Some Manchurian candidate intrigue? A blacked-out period where his mind was crammed with action-inhibiting morality? In the spy business, morality is the most fatal disease. The basic tools violate all the known codes of ethics they teach you in Sunday school. Honesty, truthfulness, kindness, charity, faithfulness, all of it. The chief terrorist nations in the world, the U.S., Syria, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the hundreds of new terrorist cells around the globe, most of them completely untraceable, all claimed chief propriety ownership of what is called good. All of them that Chip knew of had done things that the worst mass murderers could only dream of. But still, the majority of the masses believed in the game, that the referees and scorekeepers kept to the rules or were at least aware of them. But a change had come to the lie that was too apparent to too many. The majority of the planet was too poor to be intimidated with no end in sight and nations had lost their glamour and brilliance. The only romance and excitement was in toppling foreign-influenced governments. The slaves now had the money and the weapons that the slave owners had controlled for so long. The intelligence community were now, like the nations that employed them, becoming as irrelevant as CHIP's health club membership. The bad guys were no longer quantifiable, or even inseparable from the masses.
The psychological explanation, to extract something familiar from something unknown, relieves, comforts, and satisfies us, besides giving us a feeling of power. Without music, life would be in error. Where's your heart? Because I don't really feel you. Where's your heart? What I really want is to believe you. Is it so hard to give me what I need? I want your heart to bleed. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still don't believe you. It is hard to conceive such things. It's hard for me to believe. My heart's been bleeding for years. I don't know if it's the radiation or if it's the torment. Sonny Crockett leaned quietly in the shadows of the house, gun fisted in one hand and pointed skyward. His partner, Ricardo Tubbs, was next to him, gun also drawn and ready to use. Well, it's now or never. Sonny took a deep breath. The house they were currently leaning against belonged to one Jorge Costanza, leading man in a recent explosion of nearly pure heroin being released onto the streets of Miami. He was a powerful man, and he was said to have a connection with La Casa Nostra, although it had never been proven. At that moment, half the Miami PD and a dozen vice officers were poised, waiting for Sonny's command. It hadn't been easy getting to this point in the game. Countless hours of footwork by more than one undercover officers had given them what they needed, and the loss of those two of those two officers gave them reason to win the, to win this game. Sonny nodded and brought his other hand up, a small walkie-talkie resting in his palm. Everybody go. The next few minutes were chaotic, as always. The area suddenly exploded with police cars and officers, SWAT members in plain clothes wearing their badges around their necks. Sonny moved forward with the wave, aware that Rico was right behind him. The front door slammed open and they swarmed in, screaming at those standing in the house to get down and hug the floor. Confusion swept through the occupants and they all went down, no one drawing their weapons. Sonny moved through the first floor with the others, eyes scanning around him constantly. There weren't many people home today, and the assault took less than five minutes. We're, se we're secure. Where's Costanza? Where's your heart? Upstairs. He was, in, he was in the tub. Good. We got the search warrant. Keep him covered till we finish the search. This is really driving me crazy. The mundane living under the thumb of these god-awful memories. Is there, any, is there any way to keep them out? I imagine that there, if there is still a god, he or she sings songs. As mortals, we're stuck with TV shows from the mid-80s. There, I've caught you, nihilist. Do you want to walk along? Or walk ahead? Or walk by yourself? One must know what one wants, and that one wants. You know we can't walk anywhere anymore. The fourth question of conscience. We are lost. At the same moment, 4,703 intelligence agents from 10 countries were converging on the observation decks of skyscrapers around the globe. Now most of them were within visual range of the buildings. All the agents had been exposed to a virus activated by satellite signals 
The virus had been communicated to them over the past four years through a variety of media, mostly through phony documents planted in key locations populated by intelligence officers, CIA, MI5, Mossad, former KGB headquarters, phony terror cells around the world. The virus was created by a community of Nobel Prize-winning scientists, an international secret society that had finally achieved the dream of cold warriors, CIA, and KGB scientists for decades. Control of the human brain. At first, the instructions programmed in the brain virus were simple. Go to a nearby light source, water, fire, any basic element. Then they programmed a time code. All living creatures were found to possess a built-in clock that was based on solar and lunar cycles. Next, more complex, complex mental systems, guilt, violence, moral decisions, doubt, were tapped into, and they realized even these could be regulated. After considerable debate and experimentation, a plan was agreed upon. The foot soldiers for the most powerful and dangerous people on Earth, the intelligence community, would carry a virus that simultaneously reduced aggression while boosting the part of the brain that concerns empathy. The virus would lead them all to a high elevation so the satellite signal would not be interfered with. At one moment, a single blast of energy from the satellites would fully activate the virus. These men and women would then be compelled to spread the airborne virus to the homes and offices of their nation's most powerful people. This society of peace-loving scientists had, of course, considered infecting the terrorists as well, but since the virus was only effective on the most violent people, after all, Al-Qaeda had only killed thousands, the nations of the U.S. and Europe had killed millions. The most bang for the buck could be achieved by infecting the main players in the international dirty tricks business, the intelligence community. One week later, Chip reflected on a very busy month. He had meetings at the Pentagon, Congress, and the White House. He felt incredibly happy for the first time in his life. When he had left his meetings, the men and women in the room gathered round him and cheerfully wished him well. For the first time in his life, he felt he was doing something good and worthwhile, making the world a safer place not by imprisoning, torture, or murder, but by embracing and preaching nonviolent methods and bringing others in power to his side.
the disappointed one speaks. I searched for great human beings. I always found only the imitators of their ideals. Those were steps for me. And I've climbed up over them. To that end, I, I had to pass over them. Yet, they thought that I wanted to retire on them. You don't accept many of Darwin's findings. <laughs> no, I don't. But you're clearly dependent on his theories for some of your language. In what ways does your theory of existence differ from the theory of Darwinian evolution? Um, my theory is a water park, floating hotel, more gambling. In what ways is it similar? There's a difference between virtue and vice, but the difference is only noticeable to those that are interested in meaning. We often speak of discovering the meaning of something. Why do you use this terminology instead of depicting meaning as something to be created? How can something be created that already exists? What effect does it have on people when they believe that truth is absolute? They understand the meaning of what I say. The year 2000's already passed. This, this isn't worth discussing anymore. Please, leave me alone. How does this contrast with Voltaire's fear of enthusiasm? Ugh, I told you to leave me alone. Voltaire doesn't matter anymore. What does it matter if I'm right? I am much too right. And he who laughs best today will also laugh last. The formula of my happiness, a yes, a no, a straight line, a goal. You know, it would be much easier if you told me your name. I just have to stare at you to make sure that you're really there. Your eyes are constantly shifting over me without actually connecting, but you don't seem as afraid as before. Colt. My name is Colt Edwards. Colt. That's good. You can call me Sunny. Now listen carefully, Colt. In a few minutes, they're going to come and take you to the hospital. A doctor will check you over and make sure that there's no damage inside. Do you understand? Yes. No. A straight line. A goal. You know that there is a hospital, that it will make you well again, that you are dreaming, that you are home, listening to the radio, and that everything is safe. That the world is still the same, your morals are intact, you have all of your teeth, and if you listen carefully, you will not know that the world has changed. You know that the year 2000 came and passed, no massive events actually came to pass, there was the usual number of major earthquakes, civil disturbances, tornadoes, people of different religions trying to exterminate each other, but nothing of a cosmic or even worldwide nature. Did it? Did the cosmic events happen in such a way that people did not notice? Your brain is not recognizing my voice right now, I know. The earth-shaking event that happened in your life was noticed. The fabric of your humanity changed without a press bulletin. Good night, Colt. I hope you remember your life when you wake up tomorrow.
For many centuries, people have been trying to predict the year, month, and sometimes the day when a violent and sudden end would terminate all life on the spinning globe we call Earth, where major social and political upheavals would occur all around the globe. The War of Armageddon would take place. If there is a God, he or she would pour horrendous wrath upon most of humanity. The year 2000 has come and passed. The year that all of this was supposed to happen simply because of the magic three zeros. A lot of people did predict that major events of cosmic proportions would happen, but no massive events actually came. There were the usual number of major earthquakes, civil disobediences, tornadoes, 
the normal number of people of different religions trying to exterminate each other. But nothing of the cosmic or even worldwide nature happened. But just think if those cosmic events did happen in such a way that no one noticed. In our future, still more end events are predicted for precise dates. In the future, Colt may reclaim his mental facilities. He may rejoin this life. But for now, he will live inside of his own head. One filled with Miami Vice, Nietzsche, and Kelly Clarkson. He will not recover. That we can say for truth. But the question still remains. If this would happen to us, would we ever notice? Would we ever be able to recover? Is there a conspiracy that will lead to the end of the world? Will our own covert operatives like Chip be secretly used against us, those in the United States, for evil reasons? This we do not know. This we will not know until it is too late. We are at the end of our tales between these two s tortured souls. Have we learned from Colt and Chip's story? I say we have. But the greater question is, will the vice of the greed for knowledge kill off all of our virtues? And if it does, will anyone notice? You have been listening to Blindspot, Twilight of the Idols, featuring the voice talents of Anna Clark, Eric S. Humphrey, and Peter Rosenblum. The program was engineered by Philip Von Zweck and John Wenzel, and was written, composed, and produced by Peter Rosenblum and John Wenzel.
Each week, Blindspot presents a unique live radio show that explores the possibilities of the medium. For more information about the program, please visit our website at stopgostop.com slash blindspot. There you will find pictures and MP3s of past shows as well as information concerning future programs. Tune in next week at 10 o'clock when Blindspot presents 50 States in 50 Minutes. Join us as we traverse this great nation state by state, one minute at a time. Highlights include speaking to someone who actually lives in Delaware, the recounting of a traumatic Washington State memory, and music about the heartland. Don't miss... Don't miss the 30-second tributes to Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. This land is your land.
This is listener-supported community radio, 88.7 WLUW Chicago, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. Thank you for listening. This has been Blindspot. Thank you.